0: Welcome to Practice Outside the Lines podcast. I'm your host, Heather McPherson, multi-passionate sexuality entrepreneur. Join me as we learn from the people who are working at the leading edge of sexuality. We'll listen in to how it all happened as they share all the secrets to mind-blowing success. So welcome, Christine Marie six-time founder and CEO. She has a deep interest in women's wellness and liberation. She founded Rosebud Woman in 2017 after years of research into women's intimate care needs and formulations and solutions. So welcome, Christine.
1: Thank you. so good to be here.
0: So tell me about six-time founder. (laughs) That sounds like a lot of companies that you've launched and And have been the CEO of and founder. So tell me about that.
1: Well, it sounds like a lot, but when you spread that over 30 years, it's not that many. Ah. (laughs) It's like one every five (laughs) years or something. And that is, by the way, if you're getting ready to start something, you should imagine yourself committing to it for at least three to five years uh, to get anything really off the ground and running. I got into, you know, I've always been a starter. I mean, I think I was in the sixth grade when I did my first newspaper and I had a business in college, but um, after uh, graduate school, I already had three little kids, three, two, and one when I went to business school, and I tried to work in a global consulting environment for a couple of years after that, and there was just no accommodation to live from your heart, to combine a family, and... Uh, active work in the world and so I left that position and started my first company then and that was sold to Nabisco and then I started another company with a classmate in 98 that was my first software endeavor and that uh, was sold to Alcoa and then I started another one in 2004 and ran that for a few years and that was sold many years later to DocuSign a public company so I kept doing these and each time I would learn and grow a little bit more Um, And then about 2012, I had this, I made a very conscious decision as a result of other spiritual work and things like that, that uh, I wasn't going to do anything that wasn't focused on health and wellness, on creating more joy and reducing human suffering, the sort of pervasive undercurrent of human suffering that uh, persists across generations. And that a lot of the stuff that I'd started was sort of a cappuccino foam layer to make enterprises marginally more productive, but that there were so many deep needs that I could be addressing. And so since then, everything I've either advised on, consulted on, or started has been in in the health and wellness space.
0: So you are in the kind of big space of selling to big companies. I mean, that's pretty impressive. Nabisco and DocuSign. I mean, that sounds like um, you've had substantial experience in businesses in a variety of different fields. So not just uh, women's wellness.
1: No, they were all about uh, basically uh, doing services that could be digital services that could be sold online, things Ah. that could scale well, which fits in with you were telling me earlier that you were helping women navigate to building business in the sexual health space. And so there are some frameworks for acquiring a customer and the cost of acquiring a customer and then the long time value of that customer that sort of get to the underlying economics of living your mission. And I think those early businesses were really instructive in that underlying economics component, which really fed into the pricing and structural stuff on Rosebud. Um, And then the second piece is how to lead and and how to build teams that are comprised of people with many different skill sets, but a core ability to uh, navigate together, to emotionally navigate or, or, uh, yeah, to to lead teams. So those were very portable skills. And then there was another piece of that, as I was always, or very often, one of the only women in the room in enterprise software and other product projects like that and I was living a very masculine life despite the fact that I was a mom and had kids and all that stuff and the gradual awakening to a different kind of leadership a female or feminine style of leadership uh, was an antidote to those businesses so but yeah you learn from everything you do don't you
0: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I kind of joke, like I could say I've started five businesses, but three of them are all tied up in one brand. Oh, <laughs> right. oh. um, I did ReSpark Therapy and Associates, which is a group practice that does sex and couples therapy. And then I, I have an arm of it that's like a foundation, ReSpark Foundation, that provides... Um, help for women and individuals who have been sexually harmed and then like a coaching side of the business since therapy and coaching can be very separate as well. So <laughs> it's definitely not completely different businesses, but just because of the way it's set up structurally, it's different um, and um, separated in, in a couple of different ways because of that. Uh, but yeah, Sexual Health Alliance, the, the other business I started provides education for Obviously, for healthcare providers, I know a lot of people know about sexual health lines, um, so I won't get into it too much, but yeah, Practice Outside the Lines, which is this podcast, really kind of my focus is helping women and people start businesses in the field of sexual health, and I couldn't think of a better person than you, a six-time founder, who's done this over and over again um, to talk to about this you know, tips and tricks and how to get started. And I love that you said it's a three to five year commitment. (laughs) That is so important because some people expect, you know, to start a business and a year or two later, they're like, oh, it's not making money. It's not working. I guess I should close. And it's like, no, it's kind of a long haul.
1: It is. And and this is why it's so important to choose something that you love. Like all the people you're going to meet, every conference you go to, you know, every media outlet you speak to, everything that you do is going to be clustered in whatever segment you pick so I love from the perspective of your things that it's all tied together by the content in sort of looking at it as a business you know Mm -hmm. you parse that a little differently you'll be like well so much of what you spend money on and spend your time doing in building a business is aggregating your customer base and finding out who exactly you're talking to and then as you earn their trust and can provide them um to solve one of their needs, you you earn the right to solve one of their needs, then you can uh, deliver more solutions as you learn more of their needs. And so uh, it could go either way. You could do what you have, which is a core expertise, and then you deliver it through channels to people who to, are already talking to therapy-targeted clients or who are already talking to people who have sexual trauma, or you develop a special knowledge uh, targeted a specific group, and then you bring more and more services to that group. And that is a very big distinction to make early on in crafting your business model, no matter what field you're in.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, some really good advice. You know, the second point that you discussed was leading a team. And I can't emphasize that um, enough that I mean, I kind of struggled for a while putting together the right team um, for, you know, that's going to help me grow the business, but also is going to help provide a cohesive unit for The you know and and kind of consistent message for the clients and customers that we Mm -hmm. have. Um, What uh, what 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 did you encounter in building a team and leading, especially as a woman, but just in general leading a team of people to you know work toward this mission of um, well for Rosebud Wellness for sexual wellness and intimate care, but for some of the other companies, I guess the mission was a little bit different.
1: Well, the I'll start from the conceptual and then go into the specifics. So, what they say as a founder or a CEO is that you have two. Here are your core jobs: hold the vision, read the market, get the resources, get the team. And so you're I kind of like a that's conductor. That's
0: really important. So let's say that again. Hold the vision. <laughs> hold the
1: vision. Like you have to be constantly holding the vision and monitoring the market for changes. Yes. So you're yes. setting the strategy. And anytime other people get negative, you have to be foundationally an optimist and keep the eye on the vision, you know, eyes on the prize. And then your job is to get the resources, which is, you know, could be the money, could be the expertise, and to get the team, the people who Mm -hmm. are sticking around. And when you're doing the team, here's what I've learned, um, that you figure out what you need to know back of your hand in order to succeed. So in Rosebud, I needed to know formulation back of my hand, like the best products. I needed to know e-commerce back of my hand. And I needed to know like how to speak at this edge of reverence and dignity to women's sexuality and sensuality to invite a lot more people into the conversation who otherwise would Mm -hmm. be on the edges. And that had to be reflected in all of our go-to-market imagery and our language and all of that stuff and so those were the roles I staffed first and and they continue to be the things that drive the business um and then later we added some logistics and things like that and and part of the team piece is uh this is like if you're I I love to do house projects you know putts around the house and things and so um you know how when you paint a room like it's fine but it's never like when a professional painter paints oh, a room for sure, yeah. and there are certain kind of women there's certain kind of entrepreneurs who are like i can do anything it's all simple <laughs> and like bow down to things that are professions yeah. they have an expertise for a reason they're called professions for a reason and so stay in your lane <laughs> Stay in, as a leader especially man you know that yeah. everything has subtle things and mm-hmm. having people who are the best at what they do um in those seats is really important
0: yeah, so it's hiring the right people that are specific to that task, I guess, or to that industry.
1: Yes, yes.
0: So important. Um. So I saw. Well, you... I will say at the
1: beginning oh. of the at the onset of yeah. hiring, like young, like when people are new. I hire for emotional intelligence before I hire for expertise. Oh,
0: true. Oh my gosh, that's such good advice. (laughs) Um, Yeah, because you know if they have emotional intelligence, they can um, pick things up quickly, probably, and can get along well with others, which can make a world of difference when you're leading a team.
1: Yeah, like the worst crime. (laughs) Worst crime. Not a worst crime. (laughs) The hardest thing to deal with as a leader is is people who are really defensive because they can't. It's not an objective look at the work or the question that's happening in the software, the thing that's happening here, it becomes like an attack on their personhood. And that is never the case. Like your personhood is untouchable. You can never do anything wrong. You're perfect nature. You're always loved. But your software your algorithm might be off we could look at that mm-hmm. <laughs> so there's also this question of like are you how identified is the person with the work and how willing right. are they able to be themselves but then treat the work as sort of an objective output and always be learning that's kind of where i what i mean about
0: yeah yeah it's kind of I mean I kind of add to it that undeniable passion like Mm. having the passion for the work that's unwavering because Mm. you know I think people can kind of dabble and so you know choosing people that this is their this is their thing right this is what they want to do long term yeah um, I think is really important too I saw that you have an MBA so you went to business school obviously they provide you with business plans marketing market analysis do you feel like that you know MBA master's in business administration Prepared you for starting all these businesses?
1: In no way. <laughs>
0: I 100% agree with you because I have I have a bachelor's in business marketing, and I that's I say that all the time. Like I, I had to learn everything myself.
1: <laughs> you know what? There's a there's a I went to at the time the best business school in the country and graduated in '91. Wow. So that's in how, which, that's which how school old is that? I was. That was been very that was impressive. Kellogg, and then the year we graduated, it, it was it topped HBS and Penn. Wow. So that was. But what that becomes, it was like it was more of a, of a filter. Like people would take you seriously because sure. you had this credential. Yeah. But what and they, I'm
0: sure it provides you confidence in actually like doing the thing right.
1: To a certain extent, um, but you know the the other is they're really teaching you how to embed in a larger organization. Entrepreneurship is a very small portion of business school curriculum, and it has completely different metrics. So I think um, and plus that was so long ago and the world has changed so much, exactly, you know, yeah. so I feel like what is this 20, 30, literally almost 30 <laughs> years ago. So, yeah, um,
0: yeah but- that's a lifetime. I mean, I, I got my um, undergraduate degree in the early 2000s and I, I think to myself, God, like the, I mean, internet was bi- like, internet was around, but like, it's nothing like it is today. Like you have to learn everything new again. And I feel like that's just how it keeps on going.
1: That's right, and like I, I, have my friend Lisa, who's in her fifties, and she's like all about TikTok right now, and I'm, I'm sort <laughs> oh of like, gosh, you know, TikTok. <laughs> but but seriously, like like where are people spending their time, and why are they drawn to it, and like you have mm-hmm. to be super curious about what's next. I mean, a lot of my life was around looking at innovation and how what's changing in the world, and what's two to five years away, and um, the near-term innovation, not things that are twenty or thirty years out, and mm-hmm. and so yeah. Um, you always be learning. Don't yeah, get too no, locked I into 100% anything. Hundred
0: percent agree. Yeah, I'm someone who, you know, really invests in self education, knowledge business, you know, really learning from the experts in the field. Is that something that you've done as well? Taking courses and classes and kind of like learned um continuously and specifically um self education and in starting these companies?
1: Yeah, for sure. Like I did a one thing this particular company uh came about at a time when i thought that i was retired and i've been making products at home for my friends and i love that like cooking them up in the kitchen and i have a meditation and retreat center in hawaii where we were growing herbs and i'd learned a lot about plant medicine and about trusting the body and natural health And in order to really take it from that sort of amateurish thing into a shelf stable and effective Mm -hmm. and measurably effective product, I had to learn everything about formulation and and, like a huge amount of work. (laughs) Yeah. And so I got really fortunate because one of my clients um, in the innovation practice was Estee Lauder and I was helping them with some technology to move their company forward. And I met a woman who just coincidentally was leaving Estee, who had been in their new product group, and she really held my hand through a lot of that early learning, Mm -hmm. unstructured, almost like private coaching and identifying organic and USDA organic factories, and, you know, all of that stuff helping me find a chemist who shared our values, and, Uh, you know, so so there was this sense of the right people appearing at the right moment.
0: Well, and, and, and yeah, I know, I know a lot of people call that luck, but like, it really is kind of putting yourself in that position, right? Like really, um, fostering those relationships I and mean, a lot of that is you.
1: Yeah, it, it is that, um, but there's synchronicity, like when things want mm-hmm. to happen and be born oh, through yeah, you absolutely. and it's, it's a little bit paying attention to that. Like the mm-hmm. designer, everybody loves the branding on Rosebud woman, but that had nothing to do with me. Like that was basically me going, I was at dinner at my daughter's house and she's a professor at Parsons uh, School of Design. And her friend, her college roommate was visiting. Um, and she is a cosmetics and packaging designer and I had the formulas and I was working on the brand and I said, I want it to be this reverent dignified thing. I want the packaging to look like luminous mm-hmm. skin, like, like just like really radiant, catch the light, something you could leave on your bedside table. And I said, I really want to hire the best person. And she mm-hmm. looked at me and she said, uh, I did Fenty. I won all the industry <laughs> awards wow. last year. I am that person. And I, I just like looked at the sky. You you know in sort of the traditional hands up in the air thing yes, like, well okay yes. divinity thanks for this i said yeah okay so great now we have a branding a, a package designer <laughs> that's
0: amazing <laughs> what an amazing story it
1: really i mean it's been like that this is like just you must feel it in mm-hmm. the work you're oh, doing that we're like on the cusp yeah. of this awakening oh
0: yes yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that like things just seem to kind of fall into place, but I think that it's just kind of where we are in the world right now is that people are craving more products, more education, more interest, in kind of developing more knowledge around sexual pleasure and, and wellness.
1: Yes. I mean, I think when we started, I knew there was a need and I kind of knew the magnitude of the need because before I incorporated, I did a big survey. I paid an outside farm to do a survey of 3,000 women on their skincare needs and the vulva, labia and the vagina, and just like really understand what they needed. So I didn't throw away my retirement money for nothing. <laughs> and then, uh, you know, I'm in that space and I started researching a name and I, I talked about this early on in with shock and now the shock has worn off but that if you go on urban dictionary and you look at euphemism for pussy you see 700 plus mm-hmm. insults yeah and like yeah. 10 nice things mm-hmm. and i i really was totally shocked and it hit me then that the way we talk about a woman's most intimate creative organs this sort of like source of all human life is uh emblematic or evidence of how we talk about the feminine in general and I started to categorize the, the slang into like w- in what kind of an insult it was and it was objectification it was whoredom it was dirty or filthy like all of these words and then that was like wow we just hit on our larger mission which mm-hmm. is to totally yeah. change that narrative and make the integration of the pelvic basin into body care uh, a, a normal part of your day and I still get, I just did a mailbag for this week. I just recorded it and, you know, I got a shipping letter that I sang the response to and I got some praise, but I also got one woman who's like, take me off your list. Your vulgar ads. You're just so oh, vulgar. You should no. be ashamed of yourself for talking oh, about this. And I felt yeah. like, oh, honey, you know, the fact that you say vulva and vulgar in the same sentence is mm-hmm. exactly the problem. Exactly. Um, that's
0: the reason why we're doing this. That's yeah. why.
1: That's why we exist.
0: So that brings up an interesting point because, you know, whenever I started Sexual Health Alliance, it was a passion project and I really wanted to provide education. And I hear you kind of saying like, this is kind of your baby. This is kind of a passion project. And so how did you manage that passion and that mission with having it be a sustainable company?
1: Well, that's a good question. Um, I think in some ways, starting this company was me doing my own sexual healing, you know, which I didn't really know until I was a year and a half into it. Mm -hmm. And I'm, you know, I'm, I'm like into it and I'm seeing people's reactions and I'm watching my shame come up. Like, what if I am a dirty girl, you know, talking about these things and then what if
0: all they're all that they're saying is true right what What if if that's the yeah yeah
1: or I know cognitively it's not true but it's still Mm -hmm. evoking something in my physical in my response and so as I'm working through the healing of it and and then I and then and I'm trying to build the business and I'm seeing how algorithmically I'm blocked like Facebook doesn't like the idea of a naked body. They can't understand a woman, the vagina being mentioned in anything other Mm -hmm. than sexual terms. They can't understand it as a woman's wellness, that women's intimate health is a form of all body health. And Mm -hmm. so this block on education, this block on information, I started to really understand the depth of how bad this whole um, unspoken suppression was. And that as I built the business, it really was going to be about building the community of women uh, and having an ongoing conversation to have them similarly wake up to this understanding that -hmm. the conversation is repressed because the conversation is repressed. Women don't ask for what they need. They don't talk to their Mm -hmm. doctor. There's no ads. And so they think they're alone in it. And that if I continue to focus on education, information, inspiration, make beautiful graphics that teach people about their body. If we keep doing this, that will turn on 10,000 additional women to the idea that their bodies are whole and complete and should never be denied. And the side effect has been they tell their friends about the products. But I really focused on just getting the information out there.
0: Yeah, that's so smart because, I mean, I feel like, obviously, I have a marketing undergrad, so I feel like the visuals and the images um, are so important, especially when we're talking about something as personal. As intimacy and sexual wellness, um, you know, you touched on it already, but, you know, starting a business that's quote unquote outside the lines or taboo, you know, it kind of even flows into the way we language things like intimate wellness instead of sexual wellness. Tell me about kind of like your um, process with uh, coming up with how to describe it so that you could maybe advertise on Facebook or do some of these things.
1: Yeah, I mean, I couldn't say in the, three years ago, or two years ago, when we bought our first ads, I couldn't say vulva. Now somehow right. that's been whitelisted, or we've been whitelisted, so we can say that now. Um, but <laughs> I had a thing in, about in, yeah. sexuality versus intimacy, because sex and sexuality are, are traditionally so transactional mm-hmm. that it's about intercourse, or and especially intercourse with a man. Uh, you know, even when people talk about sex, rarely is it same sex if mm-hmm. that's in their mind, particularly if they're male. And and so there's this whole piece about wanting to remove your, the value and the care of your uh, sexual organs from the idea of sex and intercourse. It's not a lube, you know, which is, which is that, you know, that's not what it's for, um, that it's worth taking care of in and of itself, 365 days a year for you. Mm -hmm. And out of that space, then you can move into, you know, arousal or interaction or lubrication with another person. But the first a priori intent is you loving and integrating your body, self massage, caring for the skin, repairing scar tissue, dealing with irritation, not putting any poisonous stuff there, all of that stuff is first and from that movement to self love, then go to sex and so that's why I chose intimate wellness.
0: I love that because, uh, you know, it, the language is so important in terms of how we approach it with our own body, but with other other women, other self-identified women um, out there. And I think that, you know, describing even as self-massage versus masturbation, it can, you know, kind of appeal to perhaps self-identified women that um, that are nervous or worried, or maybe they've never touched themselves. And so you're kind of promoting um, body positivity and wellness, which is kind of connecting to your own journey into this as well.
1: Yeah. And, and, and just, let's talk about self-massage for one minute, because when, when I learned, like I've I've been a yogi for 20 years, like Mm -hmm. asana yogi. And um, when I learned about like the pressure, and, and i taken some, uh, quite a bit of massage classes. So I learned about the pressure points in the pelvic mm-hmm. basin and, and like yeah. where there are release and trigger points between like the, the bones of the pelvis and the femur, for example, you know, there mm-hmm. are all of these places where you can get really bound up. And if you understand Absolutely. the way yeah. the, the the vaginal tissue, like how moisture happens, there's no moisture in that surface layer. The moisture is stored subcutaneously. And so how you get wet, is when blood flow comes up underneath that moisture and pushes it to the surface and it mixes with other emissions and things like that. So until you have blood flow going in the whole pelvic basin, not a lot is happening there. Mm-hmm. So whether it's doing squats or getting up and you know shaking your booty or doing some like belly dance moves, mm-hmm. getting like the infinity mm-hmm. loop yeah. or going in and Moving your body, yeah. The, yeah, moving the pelvis and getting in and doing self massage. Uh, to manually move the tissues, So like mechanically, what we say is start at the hip points, move down the hip points inside and outside of the bones, go all the way into the inner groin, find those pressure points, which you will be able to identify on you because they're a little more sensitive. Outer labia, inner labia. If you want to do the clitoris, great. But if you don't, no big deal. Go to the introitus and leave it on overnight. And that's enough. And on top of that, all that self-massage is creating an oxytocin, oxytocin rush. And so you're getting like a whole little boost of mood, like la, 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 you know, because you're, you're <laughs> getting that blood flow and that, mm-hmm. and that, um, sense of that sensation of, of touching. So absolutely. If you're not comfortable going all the way to masturbation and orgasm, fine, just touch yourself anyway.
0: Yeah. I love that. I love that. Cause it really promotes, um, just being able to touch your body right and in, in really kind of focusing on the whole body instead of just the genitals
1: yeah and I get. I wish I had these letters handy I got a letter from a woman who said when I did this exercise the first time I cried my eyes out I had never touched myself there just to feel good just to feel myself and like she had had a lot of trauma sexual trauma and mm-hmm. it's such a big way of moving into like owning and loving this part of you for you
0: Today's episode is brought to you by Practice Outside the Lines. Have you heard of our podcast community? It's called Sexcasters, and it's a platform for sexual health providers that want to launch or grow a podcast. Sexcasters is a badass community for all sexual health professionals. So whether you're dipping your toes in or you already have hundreds of episodes, Sexcasters is for you. Join our waitlist now at practiceoutsidethelines.com. You know, I, I think I noticed on um on the website a really amazing and wonderful thing that I always wish more companies did, um, is providing education and and maybe even perhaps education around how to use these products. Is that part of it?
1: We have some of that. We have um that we have, I have a book. Like I'm co marketing the products with a book called the invitation it's an 80 page manifesto with like 10 brief chapters on each of these points there's a free course called the body love course body love upgrade which is an audio recording of the journal that's for free with a whole bunch of exercises that you can do at home and then there's a journal that you can take home for like a six to eight week practice of daily self-care and um, those are you know, just some of the ways we're doing it. I was running a series called Ask an Expert that's converted into a pod, um, but the same idea, like mm-hmm. who, who does your body belong to? What's your relationship to pleasure? What do you know about your body? What do you know about navigating all of the ages and cycles of your life? Mm-hmm. Um, what do you know about being sexual at 70 or 80? What do you know oh, about absolutely. menopause? Yeah. Um, you know, like basically trying to just say, here's a clearing house. And uh and also have fun. <laughs> you know, have fun. It's not all pathology, like totally enjoy yeah, your body. Such an important your body. piece of it. <laughs> so all that, you know, this like I find that I have more fun in my body the more I know about it.
0: Oh absolutely. I mean I and I think that, that you know, as a sex therapist though sometimes what we're or oftentimes what we're talking about with clients is the more you know your body, the more you understand what feels good is, the more, and the more that you can communicate to your partner and have more fun and, and more pleasurable experiences. So I think that's a huge part of it. Yeah, knowing your body is key. Um, you know, I think that um, I think I may have saw something you wrote about. You know, w- women live on average eighty one years, so we're we're with our body parts for you know, our entire life. And so to be able to take care of them, you know, I think there's a lot of education around taking care of our face and our skin. And, you know, obviously sometimes it's in vain in terms of, um, you know, decreasing wrinkles and keeping yourself young, but the same goes for all of your parts.
1: Yeah, I mean, there are some basic, do you want to like my 10 rules of Oh care? Please, (laughs) please, yes. (laughs) Oh, let's see, we can find them. Uh, (laughs) But- people don't understand that, you know, dryness is not just related to age, right? Like vulva dryness is related to if you're taking antidepressants, if you're Mm -hmm. taking certain kind of blood pressure, if Mm -hmm. you had cancer, if you have stress, if you've had sexual trauma, all these things happen. And it's not just that it's uncomfortable, uh, you know, when you're having sex, which is can be terribly painful, of course, you know, vaginal dystrophy, all that stuff. But it's also that that dryness creates micro tearing, which leads to urinary tract infections. It has Mm -hmm. all kinds of other things. If it's dry, you have a higher, lower likelihood of healing well from childbirth. Mm -hmm. And so we talk a lot about here are some basic things you might not have known. No soap. Don't create a hot box environment. Please don't remove all your your pubic hair. Please leave at least some that protect the outer opening. Absolutely. You know, so I make a list of all those things. And for a lot of people, those are brand new.
0: Uh, Is
1: that, is that part of the (laughs) 10? It's part of the (laughs) 10. I'll give you the whole 10 to put in the notes. Uh, But I think, I think that's kind of, you know, this idea of like just the basics of that and then Mm -hmm. talk to the, talk across the generations. This is Mm -hmm. just a piece of advice. I would, I would you know, there's sort of a taboo of talking to your grandmother about her sexuality. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm a grandma, I walk around naked and I, love having sex love still love that and i just, love
0: that we need more people talking about yes stuff.
1: go talk to your grandmother <laughs> and your great grandmother oh, oh, all, all the time about their sexuality <laughs> about what they like about how it changed with age like like we used to do that as women and now we you know i'm we've been running these women's circles across the country and there's nothing more fun than when a woman comes and brings her teenage daughter and her mother and all three of them are in the room, and you put a topic out for conversation, and they're discussing it for the first time.
0: Oh, it's amazing. Yeah. So I want
1: more of that. And, and you'd oh, be surprised, yeah. it's like, women in their 60s and 70s and 80s, they're, like, still hot. They still love touch. And, oh, yeah. You know, who's, That's, like, uh, up You're until there was some popular show that was recently that discussed that. But up until then, I don't think that was really even brought up and and so up to 81 or 91 or however long Mm -hmm. you're blessed to live can you love your embodiment for the entire time
0: oh yeah i mean that's something i often say is that you can have great sex into your 80s 90s and maybe even beyond depending on how well do you take care of your body
1: Yeah, those longevity movement And people people kind
0: of open their mouth, their their mouth gapes open and they're like,
1: what? (laughs) I love, there's a guy in my circle who did a book um, called When I'm 164. He's part of the longevity movement and he makes the point that, uh, you know, you don't get like, 20 extra years at the end of your life you get the 20 extra years spread out an extra five Mm -hmm. in your adolescence an extra five in midlife and so this idea that it's spread out longer and you see that happening already like women are having children so much later in life Mm -hmm. almost out of sync with like when your biology wants you to have them you know and yet this is a function of having a much longer lifespan uh so you know we're we have a Mm. we have a lot to to think about in terms of lifespan and it. Oh yeah,
0: yeah. You know, it's so funny. I was just talking to a family member last night, and he was telling me that um, that my niece, who's uh, gosh, four years old, um, he's gonna live until he's 130. Wow. <laughs> that's kind of based on the research. I mean, I'm I haven't fact checked this, but based on the research coming out, um, you know, that's to be expected. And so we are living longer, and so might as well um, start taking care of yourself early on and start, you know, learning your body, knowing what gives you pleasure, knowing how to, you know, self massage, as you say, and, um and yeah, taking care of your skin.
1: Yeah, I've been a really big, I think starting with the yoga stuff, the other piece uh, for me has been food. Mm -hmm. And to really like take charge of eating well. Mm -hmm. And I wish I'd have done that a decade earlier. Now I'm doing the whole, like really majority fruits and vegetables, majority Mm -hmm. raw. And I can't tell you like the difference in my skin and my eyes and my joints and no inflammation. And, you know, I'm doing things with my body that I couldn't do at 30. Mm -hmm. Uh, Handstands and backbends and, you know, just like really, but I can't emphasize enough that if you're going to take ownership over your body's health and pleasure, start with the food, start with the inputs.
0: Mm-hmm. yeah, that's really good advice. You know for this um for this company you have Rosebud women, you collaborate a lot with other professionals, including OBGYNs. Can you tell me a little bit about a little bit about that process of how you got that started?
1: Yeah, I really um want to do things that are scientifically valid and effective. And you know there's there's a lot of misinformation out there oh, around tons. vaginal moisturizers yeah. and things mm-hmm. like that. You have men saying, you don't need anything like that you know we we don't oh. need to put any and i'm like well you know scientists oh, or telling you to put vaseline down there holy oh. cow you know that's a petroleum product ladies no, don't no, do no, that no, no, no. uh that's uh vast, like petroleum products are banned in the eu for lip care and mm-hmm. labia is the same kind of tissue no oh yeah. And so, you know, the, the lack of conversation around mm-hmm. the need has led to misunderstandings around what you should and shouldn't do. Like, like you clean the outside of your uh, intimate parts uh, because you don't want bacteria to get into the vaginome. There's nothing wrong with using a wipe, or a spray, or something, or a gentle cleanser, but you don't want to be using soap, and you certainly don't want to be leaving it dirty, and so right. this sort of, the, the, the sort we get complaints about, like, how can you tell women they're dirty, I'm like, I'm not telling them they're dirty, I'm telling them to take care of the outside, so the vaginome stays intact, not to, sure. not to fix themselves.
0: Just like the rest of your skin.
1: Yeah, so I've kind of lost the thread here, but the, the, the whole idea of, of trying to do Um, get doctors, get OBGYNs who validate the need, who understand that there are non-prescription ways, non-pathologizing ways to care Mm -hmm. for the body, who can provide inputs on new products, um, and who can help get this message across to their patient base that a lot of the things that you have internalized around sexuality, the shame, the lack of conversation, are cultural, they're not about you, sometimes Mm -hmm. they're religiously induced shame. And if you Mm -hmm. can release those, you can solve a lot of the problems you're having in your physical body. Your physical body is manifesting a lot of the false beliefs. And so Mm -hmm. the idea that I can have healthcare practitioners, doulas, nurse midwives, OBGYNs, a whole variety of people saying, yes, this is true, heal your beliefs, don't be ashamed, talk to me about everything. Here's some mm-hmm. really plant-based, good quality products that you can try that aren't prescription-based. Uh, you know, that goes a long way in both validating it and where else are women talking about these needs? So, so taking oh, it out yeah. through healthcare channels, taking it out through uh, spa channels, that's the other place, like women who are mm-hmm. doing waxing, who are in for oh, facials. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. another place that you can have that intimate conversation. In clean beauty, you can have that conversation, but there are a lot of places where, you know, if it's sitting on a shelf without a shelf talker, who's going di- to who's going to dialogue with the customer? Right. So exactly. I feel like in part, you know, it's also a necessity as a channel. But I've met <laughs> yeah. so many wonderful women through that, particularly in the perimenopause oh, and menopause space. Wow. Mm-hmm. Mhm.
0: Yeah, yeah, I mean I I completely agree with you. There's so much mis- misinformation out there. Um and harmful things are being talked about, you know, douching and cleansing and you know. And and you know, a lot of ob and you know, medical providers say that the vagina is a self-cleaning oven. Um but it sounds like what you're talking about is really the outer lips and yeah, for that, um the vulva. Yeah, I don't yeah. do. I
1: wouldn't douche. I don't have to put anything in there. <laughs> exactly. The idea is to the idea exactly. is, to, is to keep bacteria out. Yeah. And, and frankly, not only bacteria, but other things that will change the chemical makeup in the vaginome. So, there are some silicon-based lubricants, for example, and they feel fine. But for the two or three days after they're in the body, they actually stop your own moisture from getting out. Hmm. You know, so they feel good, but they they're like kind of creating um a sheath. Over your own lubrication, and so I'm hesitant to use those myself. I'll use a oh, water-based lube, I'll yeah. use a plant oil-based lube that doesn't have a lot of sugars in it, like a low one. Mm-hmm. Low, you know, I that that's how the vaginome stays healthy. I keep the dirt out, and I don't put any um, artificial things in there, and that seems right. to be working. Yeah.
0: So important, such good advice, um, and yeah, collaborating with you know other medical providers um, in terms of getting the word out, getting the information out. Um, And education out and all these different channels seems really critical to this type of business as well. Yeah,
1: and bowing down to their expertise. You Mm -hmm. know, I have like, there is a woman, Dr. Jessica Drummond, who runs this integrative wellness practice, and she's a pelvic floor specialist. And she talked about. Um, all of the, you know, you think that the, it's an isolated thing, but if the pelvic floor is out of whack, then so many other things in the body are out of whack. Oh yeah. You know, so I love the fact that we are invited into these conversations to learn and then to pass it on to a group of women who would otherwise really never find it. Um, that, that kind of niche information, like Mm -hmm. I'm doing one now on IUDs. I had no idea the kind of side effects until we started researching and writing. And that was prompted by a a a community member. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, some people can have really adverse reactions to IED. Some people it works really wonderful, um, but it really just depends on your body makeup and your chemistry, it seems like.
1: So the other thing that kind of like you were talking about healthcare professionals and the other and you also mentioned that you had this sexual health alliance and you were Mm -hmm. doing some work with um, women who were victims of sexual trauma. I think that's from ReSpark, though.
0: Yeah. 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 So, yeah. so Respark foundation um, helps with uh, provides resources and therapy for people who have had sexual trauma and sexual health alliance provides certifications for sex therapists, educators, consultants. Yeah, yeah.
1: So this idea that when you're doing your work, this has been a big part of what we've been about and tying like our business to being a citizen business mm-hmm. that I, yeah. we were like working at the level of the individual change and shifting beliefs and at the same time trying to work at the level of the social structures and cultural things like domestic violence and sustainability and women's economic mm-hmm. empowerment and the other things that are large scale systemic reflections of that internalized repression mm-hmm. do you see what you know what i'm saying i'm, yeah, I'm trying to oh, articulate absolutely. it right but like oh, what, yeah. what what shows up in our own unwillingness to love all of ourselves shows up and is reflected in not demanding equity in, in systems and accepting mm-hmm. domestic abuse Pervasive. and other things like yeah. that. And so we try to work both individually on those things and to support these larger questions. So I was really hard, heartened to hear that you're doing stuff with people who've been victims of sexual trauma. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, it sounds like, you know, with the work you're doing too, it's kind of that social entrepreneurism piece as well.
1: Well, I've been... I, okay, this is a new topic. I'm going to be, I'm going to do yeah. a piece on this, topic, but I really want to talk about like what it means to be a citizen business mm. and that, you know, we have like corporations are considered citizens. Right. They talk about uh, corporate social responsibility or conscious capitalism or other terms like right. that. But like, if exactly. you really shift it to being, you're a citizen and you have to live in the context of a culture where, you know, that you have people who need to be educated and roads need to get built and you know you want to sustain the commons like you really start Mm -hmm, to think about mm -hmm. things differently so the idea of being a social business as a separate thing from being a business right is in itself a a pointer to the pathology
0: yeah you know like yeah absolutely it's
1: like democracy attempts to put constraints on business so that the businesses can grow within the context of long-term best interests of the group And businesses will leave the country in order to circumvent those laws, like environmental laws or labor laws or whatever, and then come back and sell you stuff that they made by circumventing democracy and bring it back to you at a lower price. Like That in and of itself is wholly unethical, in my opinion. And that if you're going to start a business, then you should think about where you live and what Mm -hmm. you're nested in and how the people who live there get paid and how they survive and how your rivers and your roads and everything like that stay healthy. And if we're going to talk about a social business, we've already bought into the idea that businesses aren't inherently citizens. Does that make sense?
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, it just kind of reminds me you're getting into kind of Um, My husband's an architect and he's, you know, obviously sustainability is a really important part. And so it's kind of touching on, um, you know, how we make our businesses more sustainable from um, an ecological perspective. Yep. Yeah. And, and that's something that you do with your products too. But yeah, I mean, I think that I love the way you described it because it's connecting so many different parts of our world from infrastructure to where we live to, you know, with who we work with, um, and who actually makes the things that we're using. Yes.
1: Here's how we think about like, what are the dimensions of being a citizen business? Mm-hmm. Inclusivity is one, like, uh, where is the share of voice? Um, in our in our images we put out in the guests we have on the pod Mm -hmm. in body diversity in in race in neurodiversity like are we inclusive are the are the the people on our team inclusive we then talk about um clean inputs we talk about sustainable making we talk Mm -hmm. about economically just making like are we sharing our equity does everybody who works on the team have shares in the company are they being paid a living wage do they have good pay you know if you want to do right there are some dimensions that go beyond like i have recycled packaging that are about oh, yeah. building your business and i put it's price tag to that it's kind of like the
0: greenwashing of architecture they they talk about greenwashing yeah. you just slap on a green roof and then you're good <laughs> so washing. it's kind of like the other yeah
1: and and so if you it costs money to do it. So then I of put a price tag to that mm-hmm. and basically said, look, it probably cost me 15% more to make all of those decisions directionally mm-hmm. correct than it would otherwise. And I'm talking about 15% to the bottom line. Mm-hmm. So that's a significant margin oh, yeah, change, but like that way we can all live well. Mm-hmm. And who does it, who does not get that 15%? Me as the owner. Or, you know, so if you think about that in larger, in the larger sort of stock exchanges and big corporations, if they all took 15% not dropping to the bottom line, who doesn't get it? Investors in the stock market and the owners of the company. And Mm -hmm. yet so many other people and systems begin to thrive. And that's where you get to the question of greed and governance. And oh, I think yeah. it's so possible to see a wholesale shift in the way people think about that. Like, how beautiful will it be when everybody's getting enough? Yeah,
0: I mean, that's, I mean, I hope that that's what we're all striving toward, right? I hope that, you know, the the new entrepreneurs of this world are um, a little bit more socially conscious and maybe even, you know, looking toward citizen businesses as the the model to follow.
1: Yeah. From your, from our mouths to the world. Yeah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I mean, it's truly like, I truly believe it's tied to you relating to my sex Mm -hmm. and you relating to sexual health for all women worldwide. And then how we relate to the source of our own life, the planet, how we relate to nature and then how we relate to how we're connected and how that relates to, whether we do violence and whether we do harm or whether we actually see mm-hmm. that our connectedness is our power. Yeah. And then you start running your business differently. Mm-hmm. So uh, this has been a gradual change. I wouldn't have said that 30 years ago. I still believe myself to be an isolated meat body and <laughs> I don't think that anymore. You know? So I run, we run this business in, in a very feminine principle of interconnectivity. Uh, mm. With all creatures and beings, and we try to do it mm. uh, as well as we can and make enough profit to keep the business going and to uh, grow uh, while doing the best we can to be a good citizen. So, I would encourage mm. anybody who's starting a business, if you're making products, to think of it that way. And yeah. if you're making, you know, if you're doing services and education, how do you weave in this deep honoring? of this given life into the Mm. way you run your company.
0: Yeah, I think that's uh, such a beautiful way to think about it and to Mm. describe it because, again, the way we set up our businesses is going to determine whether or not they're going to survive for the next 30 years Mm. and who they're impacting too. Mm. So I think that, yeah, there's there's really, really good advice and tips. Um, Is there anything else you... Um, you know, you would say to maybe a young entrepreneur that wants to get into the field of sex, um, Mm -hmm. or intimate wellness, um, you know, just kind of this like umbrella field of, um, you know, whether it's education or therapy or products or services, um, what would you say to them?
1: I would say, well, you might be universally curious in your own life to pick one spot and do it really well and try not to be a jack of all trades to everyone. Mm -hmm. Pick a woman or a kind of woman in your mind and imagine you were serving her or a man and you're serving him. Like picture that person and understand their needs thoroughly and serve that need completely. Mm -hmm. And then once you've done that, expand in one direction or the other. But when you try to be everything to everybody, you don't get enough traction. Mm -hmm. And that's uh, probably the most important thing as an early entrepreneur.
0: I yeah. I love that. Cause you know, we, you know, in, in sometimes in business school and sometimes in educational courses, they say, pick your avatar, right? What, what, if, oh, what, do, they do? what do they think? Yeah. What, you know, who are they? What do they, what kind of car do they drive? What color hair do they have? You know? Um, and, and, sometimes you know, in, in private practice, whether you're just a general therapist or a sex therapist, they'll say the same thing. Um, and so that seems like, yeah, touching on the idea of like, pick that woman, pick that man, that, um, non-binary, gender non-conforming person, whoever they might be and figure out, you know, how to serve them to completion. That's that's a big question. Yeah. That's great.
1: And, and I would say wherever there's taboo, there's opportunity.
0: Oh, that's a great line to end on. (laughs) Wherever there is taboo, there's opportunity.
1: Most taboos are, uh, most taboos stem out of something that is so powerful that it can't mm-hmm. be dealt with head-on. Yeah. And it that could time. be money, that can be um, power, that can be violence, that could be mm-hmm. drugs, it can be any kind of things that, that change the state. Uh, mysticism is another big powerful thing that's like mm-hmm. got some taboo-y stuff around it, but oh, if yeah. that's there, then that thing has so much latent power that people can't go at it directly. And so, and yet it exists in every person. And so the more you can go straight into that thing and help people navigate it and provide support, um, the, the the there's just, yeah, tremendous opportunity there.
0: That is amazing. I love the way that you conceptualize that and set it. And <laughs> that, yeah, I totally agree because I think there are a lot of people that Um, shy away from taboo and they're afraid to talk about and they're afraid to go into business about it, especially this field sexual health intimate wellness especially this field because it's more difficult it might take more money it might take more time because people you know want to prove your ads or you know they 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 don't want to hear it or they you know will spam you know put you in the spam and junk category in your email box right and and I think that that's so important just to remember the mission that that means there's huge opportunity to create change
1: I have one funny thing that you said that about the inbox for a lot of years, I ran TEDx in San Francisco and I wanted to create this new thing that was like a TEDx for the Ted for the senses, basically. Mm -hmm. We, um, we chose, we made an event called exquisite. And we couldn't get the domain exquisite. So we got the domain, what is exquisite and embedded in the middle of that is sex. Oh,
0: sex. Yeah. So
1: I got blocked right and left from people's yep. inboxes. Just, yep. like I wasn't. And so that, I guess was my first clue. Uh-huh, <laughs> like, yep.
0: <laughs> yep. It's a hard lesson to learn, especially after you named a company, right? No, it's
1: so bad. Anyway, it like,
0: Oh, oh it's so important though. Thanks for sharing. that.
1: Well, I this has really been lovely I'm, yeah really thank you. you congratulations on the new pod and on all the yes. other amazing things you're doing yeah
0: well congratulations to you too where can people find you uh,
1: rosewoman.com for the products um so rosebud is the shape of the vulva and this infinite mystery and so all the products are rosebud woman but rose woman overall is a platform for waking up and rising into your full power and it includes content products like the rose woman pod so Mm. rosewoman.com and come visit us and engage with us we have a facebook page and a community that is pretty active and um and even if you're not buying products you can sign up for the newsletter because it's not a lot of pushy stuff it's really about these inquiry points about who, how do you find more liberation in your body? Mm-hmm. How do you question the way the, the society is structured? How do we uplift other other women? I did a whole bunch this last couple of months on like the women who are four star generals. Did you know that? How many women are four star generals? Like running all of. Wow, the, that's amazing. The I'd love to hear field. that. <laughs> 38 women CEOs of Fortune 500 companies now. Or like, did you know that women in policing cause yeah. uh, all, so much less violence and still as effective? Of care you know mm-hmm. just I like highlighting that also and not just mm-hmm. making it about the soft stuff but yeah come over and and join us you know in the conversation
0: yeah build the community awesome well thank you so much Christine it was a pleasure talking with you
1: thank you I'll talk to you soon
0: thank you for listening to practice outside the lines podcast my name is Heather McPherson certified sex therapist consultant and multi-passionate entrepreneur did you know that we have a free course on starting or growing your sexual health focused business? Go to practiceoutsidethelines.com to get started. If you love this podcast, take the next vital step and rate and review it on iTunes or your favorite podcast player. Thanks so much for hanging out with me today.